Would y'all give a round of applause one more time for VBS this week? And I tell you what, you guys, y'all just keep your clappers ready. Y'all know what it means to keep your clappers ready? All right, keep your clappers ready, because I'm going to give you guys just some, uh, uh, just tell you guys what God did this week, and uh, um, I was so proud of our church this week because you guys showed up every day this past week to love on kids, share the gospel, and make an impact on families all over our community. We had over 100, or we had not over, we had 112 volunteers served this past week, so would you guys just thank God for them, all right? 112 volunteers. And I heard a really cool story from Joanna Colgate. I don't know if she's in here or not. She's probably sleeping because uh, she was up here all week, but uh, she's probably not. Maybe she come come to the next one. But listen, uh, she uh, she told me on Monday and Tuesday, I went up to her. She was over all of our crew leaders. Uh, so she'd kind of be in the back of the room, make sure all your guys and girls were covered. And uh, as, she, uh, as I was talking to her, she goes, I got to tell you something. She goes, we didn't have one person miss on Monday or Tuesday that was a volunteer that was supposed to be here helping out with the kids. And so I just thought that's, that's an amazing, amazing thing just a faithfulness, and uh, normally there's always somebody sick, and we definitely had a little of that towards the end of the week, but uh, to get through two days without missing anybody, that was just an amazing, amazing thing, and uh, um, you guys, I believe because of your faithfulness, because you guys sent your kids, and because um, uh, you guys uh, sent your spouse, you know, or whatever, because you guys were here volunteering, uh, our teenagers were all up here having fun, um, we had four, at least 40 kids indicate they wanted to take a next step with Jesus this past week, uh, 40 different kids. I want to tell you guys something, man. It was worth it. If only one kid gives their life to Jesus, it would be worth it, wouldn't it? I heard a crew leader after crew leader share with me about the kids and their crews this week. They come up to me after, uh, at the end of the day, and uh, they said, you know, we got talking about the gospel. We got talking about Jesus in our group. As we were talking about our group, there was kids in my group didn't know about Jesus. They kind of heard his name, but they didn't know what he'd done for them. They didn't know that he forgave them of their sins. They didn't know how to give their life to him. They didn't know those things. Because that's why we do what we do. It's because there's still people all around us. There's definitely new people, younger kids, right? There's, but there's people all around us who need to know Jesus. And the church does not exist for those who are already here, amen? It also exists, not just for that. It also exists for those who are not here yet. And that's what we believe here at Grace Point. You guys, we had, I think, more kids than we've ever had here at this church this past week. We had, I think, on our biggest day, 373 uh, that were here. Uh, that's a lot of kids. And so, uh, Grace Point, I want, to, I want you all to know this is why it's a joy to be your pastor. Uh, because you guys don't just uh, do church for the ones who are already here. Um, you're willing to give of yourself and give of your time and... Uh, um, and then the care and concern that you guys put into that, I just want to tell you guys, uh, it is a joy to be a pastor of a church uh, that wants to love people like that. And uh, I'm going to try to get too choked up, but uh, I'm trying to get through, but uh, I'm just thankful for you guys. And uh, I'm probably also a little tired, probably like some of you guys. So I'm going to try to keep you awake, all right, this morning. But uh, if you guys would, y'all turn in your Bibles to John 5. We're going to be in John 5 this morning. You guys, listen, y'all, well, I might get choked up because I want to mention this too. You guys, y'all were... Um, unafraid to fail, and so I think God used us together to make an impact for his kingdom, but man, you, 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 you take that, and then you throw on top of that the news that we got on Friday, and it's been just an amazing, amazing week, and uh, uh, we found out uh, here at, I'll, I'll always remember where I was when the news came out uh, about Roe v. Wade this week, because uh, um, we were here with the kids, and so I got to start looking around and just seeing all the kids, and I just started thinking, 
God is good. And uh, I was reading, reading some articles, um, and I just wanted to read a little portion of one that stuck out to me. This article, uh, it said, uh, it was, I think it was on Saturday or sometime when it came out, maybe yesterday, but it said, um, abortion providers have canceled dozens of appointments. That's one way to say it. <laughs> I just got to thinking about uh, um, said here, I'll just read it to you. It says, uh, um, different organizations in Arizona and Arkansas have at least temporarily suspended abortion services while the legal ramifications of the ruling are assessed. Doctor that I won't name in Phoenix said that her clinic was canceling about 20 abortions. And I just got to thinking, uh, there's going to be some cool stories come out of those kids. Amen. <laughs> And uh, so I just want to pray, and I just want to thank God for what he's doing before we jump into his word this morning. And uh, you guys, we're, we're thankful, um, and we want to continue to partner and support uh, mamas as well as, as these babies, um, these babies that are not yet born. Um, but we want to do whatever we can uh, to fight for life. And uh, I want you guys to know that as, as your pastor, I'm thankful for what God has done this week. And so let's pray together, and uh, just thank God for the kids that he's put in our lives and also the ones he's going to put in in people's lives, probably in this church and all around our community too. Dear Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you so much, uh, God, um, that you are the giver of life. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Uh, Lord, we know that um, one ruling, that doesn't change everything, but Lord, it does change something. And it may have just changed something for these 20 kids that were in this article. And, uh, and multiply that times a lot. <laughs> And so, God, we just pray that, Lord, yes, uh, that, Lord, you would continue to help us to make it difficult, um, Lord, for, uh, uh, for people to kill babies. And, um, Lord, we pray also, though, that you would help us to love um, and be a part of um, mothers' lives and helping them to realize that there's a whole lot better alternatives um, that they can do um, if they find themselves in a, a situation with an unwanted pregnancy. And, God, we just pray that, Lord, you would uh, uh, help us just to be a, continue to be a part of the foster care system with our fostering grace nights and supporting families. And, uh, God, we just pray that, Lord, you would just help us to do whatever we can to value life um, on every level. Um, because, Lord, I, I know that that's what we need to do. And uh, that's what you call us to do, God, because you value life on every level, too. Jesus, we love you, and we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Everybody said, amen. I didn't really have anything to do with the message this morning, so turn to your Bibles, uh, to John 5. I could not mention it, though, and uh, I'm just thankful for what God's doing. And uh, today, here at Grace Point, as we keep getting to know Jesus better, we're going to watch Jesus ask some questions. Um, one question that he's going to ask, kind of the big one, we'll look at here in a second, is do you want to get well? And I think this is a profound question, especially for our day and time. We focus so much on healthcare over the last couple of years, right? And we've collectively endured some things together. But I think the question we also have to ask is for our spiritual lives, do I? Do I want to get well? Do I want to be who God wants me to be? Do I want to serve his purposes more than my own? Do I want to get well if there's an area of my life where I'm not doing that? Am I willing to do what it takes to change? So I want you to look with me at John 5 today. We're going to start in verse 1, just cover the first oh, 09, maybe 14, 15 verses right through there. Uh, we'll jump around just a little, but we'll try to cover this story today because this, this to me is uh, one of the coolest stories in John 5. So look at it with me, uh, starting with verse 1 this morning. Uh, it says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. So he's coming back to Jerusalem. This is at least the second time that we've seen him in Jerusalem. 
said that he, this is where he decided to go this time in Jerusalem. Last time he was in the temple, he was kind of turning, uh, the, the, he was kind of turning the, the tables over, and he was upset that the temple wasn't being used to worship God, but it was being used uh, by the money changers, right, and all that. And so, uh, but this, this time he doesn't go to the temple, he goes to a different place. It says, verse 2, inside the city, near the sheep gate, there was a pool called the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, sick people, not one, all right, but crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed people lay on the porches. For an angel went down, verse 4 says, at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That was kind of a legend, all right, that was going around at the time. And then verse 5 says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years, When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So I want to talk about this pool that Jesus goes to. It's kind of interesting that, you know, uh, if anybody ever asks you where Jesus goes second or in Jerusalem, he went to a pool. Kind of interesting. But not a pool like we would think, all right? We kind of think of a pool like this, right? When we think of a pool, uh, we think of pool, a pool like that right there, all right? Jesus' pool that he goes to doesn't look like that. It doesn't look anything like that kind of pool that you guys are going to this summer, maybe in your community or somebody's house or whatever. doesn't look like that kind of a pool. Um, it, it, it looked a little bit different. Probably more kind of like something like this right here. This was the kind of pool uh, that you would have seen Jesus walking into Jerusalem and going to. And they had multiple pools kind of like this, um, but it wasn't just for swimming, all right? In fact, it wasn't for swimming at all. It was actually for something completely different, and we can see this in the verses right here. Um, This is probably a more accurate depiction right there behind me of what a pool would have looked like. It says that this pool in particular was by the sheep gate. So again, this was probably not a crystal clear, beautiful water pool, all right? Uh, If you've ever been around sheep, sheep are dirty, all right? And uh, there was more than likely a lot of animals that would also come to this pool with their owners. Uh, So this was not a clean place. This was a place where people might have been washing clothes, though. Uh, This is the only type of water that they had, right? And so uh, you think of like what you might see or think of in a third world country, and that's what's going on here down these steps at this pool that Jesus comes to in the city of Jerusalem, all right? They're washing clothes, uh, maybe even bathing themselves, all right? uh, Their animals are coming to get a drink, all right? It's kind of more like what you would see maybe still in, uh, you know, third world countries like uh, places in India, out in villages where they come to the river uh, to to do these types of things, right? And so... um, and so um, it says that uh, this, uh, this place had five porticos. It was a big area is basically what that's trying to communicate. There was lots of people. So Jesus goes to where there's lots of people. And by the way, this is not where the rich people go. This is not a fancy pool. This is a pool where basically all of kind of the lowest of the low are. And we can see that by the description that verse 3 gives us right here. Uh, it says that there was crowds of sick people that were there. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in our culture lately, if there's one sick person around that's coughing, everybody's like, whoa, you know, everybody's backing away, right? Like, like, stay away, stay away, unclean, unclean, right? You know, we kind of have, a li- we kind of feel now in the last couple of years a little of what they used to feel when they had things like leprosy and things like that that were going around in Jesus' day, right? And so we feel a little of that. But this, this just begins to list off all the calamities, all the different problems that people have. This would have felt like walking into an ER, all right, or something basically. Um, but much worse because it's not just a few people It is crowds of sick people that are hanging out here. So you got some people who they're coughing, they can't breathe very well, all right? But that would maybe be like kind of like the highest tier of sick people here, right? Then it just goes down the list. You've got some people who are blind and they're coming down the steps 
really carefully, kind of like this. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to come down the steps. This is really scary. All right, right? You know, if you close your eyes, you can kind of get a little feel for that. But that's how they're coming down the steps to get into this pool, right? You got people who are, Bible says right here that they're, they're lame. You got guys literally dragging themselves with their arms down into this pool. I just want you to kind of picture this in your head a little bit. This is not a place where you go swimming. This is not a place where, where you would just go, hey, I want to go here so that I can, you know, show off or be famous. You're going here typically because you got nowhere else to go. Withered people, another translation says, people with arms and legs that are not functioning. And that's what's going on here at this pool. The history of the pool is given to us in verse 4. Legend has it that an angel would come down and stir the waters. So basically people would talk about this pool, kind of what the word on the street was, was that if, uh, if you saw the water start to move or bubble up, all right, as water started to occur, if, if the people would just jump into the water as fast as they could, the first person in the water might be healed by the special angel that would stir the waters. Scripture never tells us if this story was true or not, but this was basically the story of what was being told, all right, during this time. And so what you would basically have, I mean, it's almost comical except for the fact that it's sad, all right? You'd basically have down these steps, all right, right here, kind of those types of steps, you would have the slowest race ever seen where you have sick people and lame people and blind people all fighting to be the first one to get into the water. And this is the pool. This is the pool of Bethesda where Jesus comes. Can you imagine lying next to the pool like this guy in verse 5 for 38 years? says there was a man that had been trying to be healed at this pool like that for 38 years. Can you imagine lying next to a pool for 38 years trying to become well? Hoping that when you hear the water stirred, all right, you're just trying to listen, you know, maybe you're trying to watch, all right, uh, depending if you're, if you're, if you're uh, blind or, or if you're deaf or whatever, if, if you, depending on what you are, if you, if you, can't, if you can't use all of, your, all of your faculties, right, you know, you're, you're trying however you can to figure out, maybe you're just listening for other people to say, oh, the water's stirring, all right, and, and as soon as the water stirs, you're hoping maybe, this man right here, we don't even know that he can move, it says he was laying there beside the pool. Maybe he was just hoping to roll himself in first. This is his medical plan. This is his whole goal in life, is to be made well. Jesus asked him three questions throughout the day that would change his life. Isn't it awesome, you guys, by the way? Yeah, there were some kids here this week who had a day that changed their life. Isn't it awesome that God, in one day, sometimes can completely change your life in one moment? Some of you guys, I've, some of you, guys you, you had that moment in church. Some of you guys, uh, Johnny, I'm looking at you, you had that moment in a bar where God got a hold of your heart. You know, like, like depending on where you're at and depending on what's going on in your life, like, listen, like God can get a hold of your life and in one moment and in one day he can change your life and that's what he does for this man. He shows up right here in this man's life. Look at verse six, this is what it says. It says, when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Sick man replied, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. I can't even get in the pool by myself. Somebody always gets there ahead of me. First question that Jesus asked this man on this day was, do you want to get well. 
Now, the man clearly wants to get well, right? That's why he's sitting here beside or laying here beside this pool. But what I believe Jesus was really asking the man as he asked that question is, are you ready to do what it takes to get well? Are you really ready to change? Because you've been stuck in this for 38 years and you've probably gotten pretty used to it. Are you sure that you're ready to do what I ask of you? All right, it's gonna be something different today than you've ever done in the last 38 years. Something is about to change in your life, all right? Anybody in this room, you ever known somebody who's been sick and you know, you tell them, hey, you need to do this and this and this and they're like, I'll be fine. And then what happens a few days later, ladies, to your husband, right? You know, like a few days later, I'm really sick now, right? You know, that's kind of what happens if you don't, if you don't take care of it towards the front end, you know? But we all have people in our lives like that, you know, it depends on your personality, whatever. I'll be good. I'm just going to keep on trucking. I'm going to keep on going. Especially, you think about the length of time that this man's had 38 years with whatever problem that he has. He's been lying there. Anybody ever had an illness or something wrong with your body that made it to where you had to stay in bed or couldn't function normally for a long period of time? You ever had that happen? I've had two moments in my life. I broke my hand, had to have, uh, took, took weeks for my hand to heal. They had to put pins in my hand. Everybody, y'all just thought, I, I don't know if y'all ever seen my scar on my hand. Y'all just thought, you know, your pastor used to get in some knife fights, you know, and things like that, you know, but, uh, they had to cut my hand open. They had to put some pins in it. And, you know, they had to put the, uh, I look like Frankenstein, you know, with the pins coming out of the hand. And they had to put the cast over it. You know, they had to do all these things. And then five or six weeks later, I finally get the cast off, you know. And then even after that, I got to go through all this physical therapy for my hand, you know, to get it to function again. About the time I got my hand healed the same year, I, I messed up my knee. I blew up my ACL, MCL, and meniscus playing basketball. And that took not just weeks, that took like a year. And I remember being laid up with the machine, just like moving my leg really slow back and forth, trying to give me mobili- mobility back. And then I had to wear a brace for the next year everywhere I went. And then if I ever went running for the next several years or playing basketball or something, I'd still have to put that brace on. I had to think about it for years. It wasn't until, uh, wasn't until maybe two, three, four years later that I finally was like, like, okay, I've, I feel good to play basketball again without a brace. See, when we have things like that happen where it's been a long time, right? Sometimes it's easy for us just to say, you know what? I don't even know if I want to go through all the things that I have to go through to be made well. But Jesus here wants to make the man well in a moment. He gave him some steps. He's going to give him some steps here in a second. To get healthy, but I think one of the biggest problems that we have today is that some people don't want to get well, especially when it comes to their hearts. They just kind of learn to be okay with being spiritually sick. You kind of just get used to it sometimes. Did you know, and this is one of the most dangerous things, you guys, you can get used to just being kind of like half-hearted about Jesus? That's being spiritually sick. You get used to your life just not involving Jesus a whole lot at all or not really having a relationship with him, not experiencing him. But that's spiritually sick. I know people, I talk to people all the time, yeah, I don't really pray a whole lot. I don't really know how. You don't know how to talk to the God of the universe who made you to talk to him, who made you to worship him. That's spiritually sick. You've never shared your faith, all right, and helped somebody else know Jesus a little bit more, all right, that's... That's not spiritually vibrant and healthy. (laughs) You're angry all the time and you struggle with that. You're bitter towards the same person for years. All right, you're not at peace. That's spiritually sick. The question is, do you still believe 
As Jesus asked this man, that you can change and that you can be made whole and be restored by the God who wants to restore you even though you're sick. The problem a lot of times is we just get be kind of okay, kind of like a, a criminal who's been in uh, jail for years and years and years, and then when he gets out, you know, uh, he, he struggles on the outside world, right, you know, and he struggles with freedom, you know, and those kinds of things. He'd almost sometimes just rather go back to the, the jail way of life because that's what he knew for so many years. Listen, listen, I think sometimes that happens to us too. We get stuck in the, in the jail cells of our hearts that we put ourselves in, and we don't even know what it could feel like to be spiritually set free. But yet Jesus... He loves to heal the sick. The sick man's story here, his whole life, he'd been unable to help himself, and Jesus is asking him, do you want to fix the problem, or are you okay just to stay the way that you are? Sometimes we just like to ignore the problem. Um, story that I, I read a long time ago, I've always been kind of fascinated with this city because when uh, me and my family, we used to go to the beach growing up. Uh, we grew up in Texas. And so if we go to the beach, we would go to Galveston, Texas. Anybody ever heard of Galveston, Texas? All right. Uh, Galveston, Texas. Um, uh, I, I grew up thinking, uh, because of all the oil well, I, I grew up thinking it was normal that you just saw oil wells like out there while you were swimming at the beach because that's how it is at Galveston, Texas. I grew up thinking that the water was supposed to be brown. That's just, that's just the way it was. I mean, it, it was really not the best beach. Right? Have you ever been down there? But, um, you know, you'd better to go maybe further along the Gulf or somewhere else, you know, Pacific or or the Atlantic side, but you go there and it's like, Ugh, you know, there's, there's some problems, but that's just where I grew up going to the beach. But uh, Galveston uh, is famous uh, for what happened to the city in the year 1900, 122 years ago. In fact, there was a whole book, probably multiple books, but there was a whole book called Isaac Storm that was written about the hurricane that wiped out Galveston in that year. One of the main plot lines of the book is about how everyone was convinced that a hurricane could never strike the city of Galveston, even as one approached. The author vividly describes how as the streets began to flood, people were just going about their business as if nothing was wrong. Children played in the water, men gathered for breakfast at the local diner, no one fled from the storm. It was about to strike. Some didn't worry because it was a guy named Isaac Klein the National Weather Service officer in Galveston who assured everyone that it would not be a major storm. Others simply believed that Galveston was invincible. Some thought that since they had never seen a hurricane strike Galveston, that one never would. So for a number of reasons, people assured themselves that nothing bad would happen. And as a result, over 6,000 people died one September day in 1900. Guys, I want to encourage you don't think that it's okay just to be oblivious or just to stay sick if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. If it's not healthy, in fact, God will tell this man here in just a few verses, he's going to tell him, he's going to say, hey, hey, make sure, all right, make sure that you stay healthy, make sure that you stay well, because, all right, if you don't, if you continue in sin, if you continue to, 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 to not be spiritually healthy, not just physically healthy, but spiritually healthy, all right, it's not going to go well for you, and something way worse could happen to you than even what's happened over the last 38 years. To get well, we must realize first that we aren't naturally 
well when it comes to our spiritual lives. We have to learn how to say, you know what, God, I, I, I want you to see if there's any wicked way in me today. Because I, I want you to fix me. You're the only one who can fix me. I can't even fix myself. Nobody else can fix me. But Jesus, you tell me that if I come to you, you can make me whole. And you can make me well if I'll focus on my relationship with you. He tells us that. Second Chronicles 7.14 where he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The problem sometimes in our church culture is we don't, we just kind of think it's okay just to keep going about our day the way that we are. And yet God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because I want to give you rest. Verse eight, what he tells this man who hadn't had rest for 38 years, who's been stuck in his illness for 38 years. Jesus tells him really three things. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Y'all say those with me. I won't wake you up. Here we go. Say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. All right, say it one more time. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. These don't seem like three crazy things, all right? But for this guy, they were pretty crazy, weren't they? When was the last time in 38 years that this man had stood up? I don't know if he could pick up anything. Didn't sound like he could. And he definitely hadn't in the last 38 years been walking around anywhere. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, today, you're going to do things that you haven't done in 38 years. Are you ready? Are you ready to do things that you haven't done? Listen, church, I want to I challenge you. Are you ready to do things that you haven't done in your life yet for God? God wants to call you to do things that you haven't done before. You say, I've never shared my faith. He wants to call you to do that. Say, I've never, I've never uh, been on a mission trip. He may want to call you to do that. I've never prayed with my family. He definitely wants to call you to do that. God may want to call you to do things. And you might say, well, it seems so simple. Then do the simple things. Jesus wants to empower you to do those things and not be locked in this, well, it just doesn't really matter. I guess I'm kind of okay. This man could have said that. He said, Jesus, that's crazy. I can't do those things. I've never done those things in 38 years. But the Bible says the man did them, and instantly the man, verse 9, was healed, and he rolled up his sleeping mat. He went a little step further. I didn't just pick it up. I'm going to roll it up. I'm going to pack it up all nice. I'm going to carry the sleeping bag along with me. And the man began walking. So I think the second question that Jesus wants to ask us this morning, first one was, do you want to get well? Second one is, will you do what I say? Will you just simply do what I say? Jesus asked the man to do things he hadn't done before. The question wasn't, do you understand what I'm asking you to do here? The question is, will you do them? This is not a hard thing. All right, I'm asking you to do some things. All right, it's going to sound kind of crazy because of where you've been, but you can do them. I promise you can do them or I wouldn't ask you to do them. And God does this a lot in our lives, by the way. Um, I want to put a picture up of Brian and Missy Meyer. Some of you guys know Brian and you know Missy and you've been following their story. Uh, for months, we've been following their story. Can you guys put that up in the back? Um, this is a picture of Brian right there. Uh, they've got two brand new little girls that, well, and I'll just kind of tell you, tell you part of the story here. So for months, they've been trying to adopt these two little girls. And just a few weeks ago, they were sitting right here where Addie and Lori are sitting. They were sitting right there, and that's, that's where they're sitting, right there, that seat. Uh, I think in our first, maybe second service, maybe this one, I can't remember if it's first or second one, but 
middle of the invitation, they came up to me. Missy was crying, and we met right here. Um, and uh, she said, you know, Pastor Reagan, we just wanted to tell you what we're about to do because we think it's going to sound a little crazy. I said, what are you going to do? <laughs> they said, well, you know, we've been trying to adopt these girls from the Caribbean for months, and just things have not moved forward like we thought. We thought we'd have them here in February, and then March, and then April. And we've just been waiting for all the court dates, and the visas, and all that stuff to line up. And they said, we had a visa date, and we thought we were going to be able to go, and we had to go pick our girls up, and we scheduled the plane, and uh, the plane got the plane tickets, and you know uh, we're gonna gonna fly over there and get them. But then we just found out that uh, they've postponed it; they've canceled our our court date. And uh, I said, "So what you gonna do?" I said, "We think we're supposed to get on the plane." And I'm sitting here going, "Like, oh, I don't know." I said, "Well, why do you think that?" They said, "We think God's telling us to go get on the plane." And I want to tell you guys, I won't say the date yet, all right? But the last few weeks, they've been hanging out with their girls for the first time. They've been reading, reading them Bible stories for the first time. Some of you guys are nodding because you're friends with them on Facebook. You know, um, they've been getting to, to just hang out with their girls. They've getting to be a family for the first time. And I, I, I kind of know the day. I'm not going to tell you, but I, I think very, very soon, those girls are going to be living here in the state of Ohio because of what God's doing in their lives. Because they had a mom and a daddy who were sitting in these seats right here. I said, we're going to go get them. We're going to go get them. Because God's laid it on our heart to go and get them. Now, I'm not telling everybody needs to go to other countries and go, like, kidnap children. That's not what we're saying at all, all right? That's not what they're doing, all right? They're going to wait for the process, and they're doing all of the things that they need to do. But sometimes God does tell us to do things that don't make sense. And we see that in his word. I mean, look at Joshua in the Battle of Jericho right? Walk around this building seven times, it's going to fall down. I've known some buildings that could probably happen, but not, you know, not the whole, not the whole city, right? You know, that's what, that's what God told Joshua to do. Noah, I want you to build an ark. It's going to flood. I know it's never happened, but you can do it. God, the father even told Jesus, listen, your purpose on this planet, your biggest purpose is to die. The sins of the world it's not going to be easy, and it's going to hurt. But what did Jesus do? He became obedient to death to do what God the Father asked him to do, even the death of the cross. And that's why we exalt him, and that's why we celebrate him, right? The sick, sick man, Bible says, did this new thing, as Jesus asked, without complaint. We'll finish with these verses this morning, but we'll jump over to verse 10. All right, already told us that he was healed. Already told us he was uh, rolling up his sleeping mat. And so he's now walking around the city, all right, and he's carrying around his, his, his sleeping bag, all right, just with him everywhere he goes as a sign that, hey, remember I was laying on that sleeping bag, you know, down by the steps over the, the pool of Bethesda over there, you know, look, I'm carrying it, you know, and I'm, I, can, I can walk around and I can jump and I can dance and I, I can do all these things, you know, and he's getting excited and he's, he's probably going around telling everybody. And, and you know what the response of all the religious leaders is? Don't you think they'd be excited for him? Don't you think they'd be celebrating him? It says in verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected. <laughs> it said to the man who was cured, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat around like that. I'm trying to think of anything they could say. 
He replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. Man didn't know. For Jesus had disappeared into the crowd, but afterward Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. In other words, I know you're healed physically, now let's focus on you spiritually. And the man went and told the Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had healed him. Even though they objected, even though they'd already gotten on him, they'd already already kind of gotten on his case for carrying around his mat, it says after Jesus talked to him, he goes back to those same leaders and tells them it was Jesus who healed me. And I think the third question then that we see from this interaction that Jesus has with this man, last question this morning, don't miss this one, Jesus basically asked him, will you keep speaking up and living for me after I have healed you? There's a lot of people in our culture who say, I'm saved. Jesus saved my life. But they don't necessarily want to live for Jesus very well after their baptism or after he's gotten a hold of their heart or after they've confessed and believed. And I believe what Jesus shows us with this man right here is that he wants us and he's gonna ask us and he's gonna challenge us, will you keep speaking up and living for me even after I've changed you, even after that first moment that you had with me? Isn't it interesting what the religious leaders do here? You're not allowed to walk. You're not allowed to get up. You're not allowed to carry stuff. Stay down. Stay broken. Stay the way you've been for 38 years. We're okay with that. We're more concerned with our rules than you. You know, listen, Jesus is not concerned about all the do's and don'ts of religion. Jesus is concerned about whether you do or do not have a personal relationship with him. Jesus tells him, listen, I know maybe you're feeling threatened by the other religious leaders. He says, listen, now you are well, so stop living like you're still sick. Speak up for Jesus. Speak up for others. Help them have life. This is, I think, by the way, one of the things that Christians struggle the most with. We struggle the most with this. We don't, you know, because here's the thing. What can the devil do to you after you're saved? You know what he wants to do? He can't, he can't do anything about the fact that you're going to heaven. He can't do anything about the fact that one day, all right, you're going to be with Jesus again. He can't, he can't change that. There's nothing the devil can do, all right, to steal you or pluck you out of God's hand, Scripture tells us. But you know what he can do? He can shut you up. He can get you off track. He can get you focused on other things. He can keep you spiritually sick. All right, you might, you might be, all right, you might be in the palm of God's hand, but listen, if you don't pursue God, if you don't seek after him, you know what? You may not be fully used for his glory like you could be if you don't pursue him and seek after him with your whole heart. That's what the devil wants. The devil's purpose is is to keep you sidetracked and to keep you stuck in sin and to keep you frustrated with other believers and to keep you angry and to keep you bitter. All of those things. This is the thing I think that Christians struggle the most with. See, Jesus went and found the sick man to tell him this. He tells him that he would actually be in danger of something worse happening to him if he continued in sin, worse than the 38 years of physical misery that he had already had. Jesus basically tells him, listen, if you're not spiritually right, it doesn't even matter if you're physically whole. Jesus tells him what happens next is what matters the most. 
What happens with your life is more important than even just what happens today in this moment. And yes, Jesus tells him, I want to give you amazing moments with me. You've had an amazing moment today where I've changed your life and you've been able to stand up, pick up your mat and walk. But listen, that's just one day. Let's see what I can do with your life if you live it for me. Yeah, see, here's the thing. I'll finish with this this morning. Here's the thing that God wants to do with us, church. He did it this week. But you know why I believe sometimes God does incredible things during a week like VBS or a week like camp coming up with our students? It's because we actually give him time. We actually say, okay, this week, some of you guys, you said, okay, God, I'll give you 15, 20 hours of my time this week, and let's see what we can do with it together. When students go off to camp here in a few weeks, all right, go to Beach Camp Freedom, all right, and they, they spend, all right, five straight days spending time, all right, where we're morning and night and Bible studies and other things, spending time actually focusing on Jesus. You know what Jesus does? He changes students' lives because they give him time. So when we start for even a week sometimes, giving him our lives together, that's why 40 kids get saved is because Jesus said, you gave me your time. You sacrificed something for me. You know what? I'm going to use that and I'm going to use that and I'm going to make a difference in somebody else's life because you guys were faithful. And that's the beauty. When I walk around, I see what happened this past week more than even just seeing the kids. I see the beauty of what everybody is doing to serve the Lord together. And it's a beautiful thing. When men and women of God say, you know what? I don't just want to be saved a long time ago and just live in that moment. I want to have new moments with Jesus today where I can see him use me. I can see him use me as part of his church. I can see him use me impact the life of another child, of another adult, of another person that needs to know him. It's a beautiful thing when followers of Jesus do that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I pray that we would ask ourselves, God, these three questions this morning. One more time. Do I want to be well? Am I willing to do what you say? And am I willing to speak up and continue to live for you even after you've healed me of something or after you changed me a long time ago? God, I pray that, God, today you would help us if we need to, as 1 John 1, 9 says. God, to confess to you. God, if we need to, to just tell you, you know what? There's probably people in here today who'd say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus today. But maybe God's getting a hold of your heart and you'd say, you know what, today, best I know how, I'm not going to be perfect at it. In fact, I may even screw it up. But I want to. I want to know who he is more. The fact that he died for me, that he rose from the dead, and that he can forgive me of my sins. If that's you today, I want you to know, man, you could tell him today. You could say today, Jesus, the first time I want to give my life to you. I don't want to just live for myself. Best I know how, I want to begin to live for you today. 
that's you today. We just want to encourage you. You, I'm back to those little blue cards we talked about earlier. You can check the little box. It says, for the first time, I gave my life to Jesus today, and we'll follow up with you this week. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Maybe this morning you would say, I need to take a next step of baptism just like Nora. I need to be willing to be bold and be brave just like this third grader. Be willing to show everybody else that I want to live my life for Jesus. Maybe today you would just say, you know what? Today I want to do whatever I can. Not just to look back on a moment from a long time ago, but to begin to live for Jesus more today. God, I pray, Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do today, God, that we would do it, that we'd remember, God, what it feels like. God, just to love you more in the beauty of that, the beauty of getting to know you more with all of our hearts. We love you today, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your precious and mighty and holy name. Amen.